Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. What a blessing to know we have a God that loves us. What a wonderful blessing as we come out of Christmas and we're reminded that the very God of all creation was willing to come down and to join hand in hand with man. And I want to invite you to the book of Jude. Uh, We're going to finish this book tonight. And what an important message for this very first day of the year, or first Wednesday of the year, excuse me. Uh, I guess I'm still stuck on Sunday, I'm not sure. But I want to thank Brother Weigel for filling in for me Sunday and Uh, We were grateful to be able to go, but we're grateful to be back. And we're looking forward to uh, what God has in store for the coming year. And Jude chapter, uh, there's only one chapter, so you just turn to any of chapter there. So Jude verse 24, and we're going to read verses 24 and 25 here in just a moment. But this is something that is absolutely essential to us as believers today. And I believe it's important for us as, as a body of believers as we come together in, uh, into the Word of God tonight, into a brand new year, that we understand the security that we have in Christ. Now this, is, this doesn't just affect our mind, it affects so many other aspects of our life, the, the fact that we can be secure in Christ. Now what that means to us is, is amazing, and we're going to touch on the ramifications of that this evening, but all the doctrines of salvation are absolutely essential and precious to the redeemed, and, but the doctrine of this idea of eternal security stands out in my mind as most marvelous of them all. And we think about this, and many, uh, many, many people reject this doctrine, but it is something that is taught over and again in the Word of God. We're going to see a lot of Scripture tonight in the Bible. I think there's over 45 Scripture we're going to turn to. I want to encourage you, uh, take notes uh, and, and pay attention, because in, inevitably, almost every Christian will face times of doubt. There's going to be times where inevitably there's going to be uh, where Satan will come and try to trip you and try to convince you that you're not his. But here's the glorious truth is that we are secure in Christ. Think about this, the glory of all the aspects of salvation like justification, regeneration, our conversion, our adoption into the family cannot be fully uh, cannot be fully appreciated if there is no eternal security. Listen, if salvation is not forever, then what are we doing here? Without the assurance and the confidence of eternal security, the Christian life gives way to doubt, it gives way to worry, it gives way to fear. Everything crumbles in the face of no security. And so let us be able to say, Lord, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for Christ who saves us. Thank You for Christ who keeps us. What a blessing that is tonight. And so we're going to look at several Scriptures in just a moment 
Uh, but by way of introduction, I just want to uh, point out a couple of things. Because the doctrine of eternal security, uh, we can rest assured that nothing robs us of our saving faith. Uh, that will eventually produce the glories of heaven. Remember, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he said in 2 Corinthians four seventeen, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I tell you what, there is something glorious ahead for us. There's something that is worth the waiting at the end of this life. And it is much more than, uh, than uh, rainbows and fairy tales. It is the presence, the physical, literal presence of our God and our Savior. I tell you, I, I realize that is what we need. That is what we oftentimes lack in this hectic world, is being able to, to be very cognizant of the presence of God. But that is ours to behold uh, here on this earth and even, even more uh, reality in heaven. Now, just a couple of other thoughts as we, before we jump into this. Uh, because if we were to put alone, uh, if we were to maintain our own salvation, we would lose it. And so those who struggle with sin would repeatedly forfeit their righteousness every time uh, they committed a sin. Even the Apostle Paul acknowledged that he struggled in sin in his life. He said in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, he said, Who shall deliver me from this body of uh, this death? He recognized that he was a man who was a sinful man. He didn't, couldn't gain, he couldn't maintain his own salvation through his own self-righteousness. In Philippians 3, he, he wrote and he says, Listen, I, of all people... Of all people, I thought I would be the one that would be able to gain my own salvation. But I, would, I couldn't. He said, I should have been the one that would be at the top of the list, but instead what I found was that I was just as desperate, even more desperate. You see, true salvation is not based upon our works. It's not based upon our work, but it's based upon the work of Christ. It is His righteousness, the work of Christ. It is His righteousness that covers those who trust in Him. And so we don't need to worry about keeping or losing our salvation because it is not based on us. It's based on Him. And so just, just by way of example, I read a story of a man who needed to get some work, work done on his roof. And so he said, listen, this is a pretty steep roof. And, and so he had his son there to help him. And, and so he got a long rope and he threw it over the peak of the house. And his, he said, son, tie it off to a tree over there on that side. And the son looked around and sees all just a little uh, strapling of a tree. And he, and he said, well, that's not much of a tree. So he tied it on the bumper of the car. He's a pretty sound young man. It seems pretty logical. Until the mother decided that she needed to go to town for some groceries. That wasn't the most secure thing to tie things to. But here's the truth. When our faith is grounded in Jesus Christ, we have something sure, something that is secure, something that no one can ever, ever do away with. And so let's look at these last two verses of this short epistle in the book of Jude and be able to be encouraged by what Jude has to tell us today. Verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the reading of the Word. Thank You, Lord, for the truth that is contained in the Word of God, that You are able to keep us. Lord, what a joy to know that our lives are secure in Jesus Christ. And so today as we begin this very first of the year, or in the very first week, 
Help us, Lord, to find our anchor, our security, not in the things of this world, not in the works that we do, but, Lord, in you alone. We thank you for Christ. Thank you for the finished work of, uh, on the cross. When he cried out, it was finished. Lord, what a joy it is to our heart to know that our debt has been paid. And, Lord, we belong to you. And so let us come with hearts full of faith, Lord, with hearts full of joy and rejoicing today for the glorious God that we serve. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to this doctrine, let me just mention it, it connects inseparably with several other doctrines about salvation. For example, doctrine like justification. Justification is that by which Jesus Christ has fully paid sin's penalty. A short way to remember the, the idea of justification is just as if I'd never sinned. My, my sins have been paid for. We cried out on the cross. He said, it is finished. That Greek word means it is completely paid for. There's nothing left that needs to be paid. What a blessing it is to know that, listen, I'm not working for my salvation tonight. I just get to proclaim the finished work of Christ. That's the glorious news of us as Christians today. And, and what we have to carry into the world is that Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Man, there's nothing more glorious, nothing more wonderful than the thought that God has me secure in Him. But it also connects to the doctrine of sanctification and even glorification. You see, the Holy Spirit seals believers. He sanctifies us and thereby certifying that all will be brought into glory with Him. And so, if we could lose our salvation, then each of these other doctrines would also be severely undermined. And so we see this, that as, he, that as Jude brings this letter to a close, what he's really doing, he underscores that God has a uh, preserving work in salvation by His final word of praise to God. And so we see here we're encouraged, we're strengthened, and as we face a new year, uh, and I know for many, uh, last year has been a difficult year, but I'm thankful that no matter what the year is ahead, we have a God who is still faithful. We have a God who still saves. We have a God who still redeems. We have a God who still walks with us. And I just want to remind you that we have a God who will never remove His love from us. And so we praise. And when we praise, it negates our fear. We praise and it brings joy in our life. We praise and it stimulates hope for the future. And so let us see our reason for rejoicing tonight in the guarantee that Christ has purchased on the cross for our sins. And so let's look first off at this first idea that he shares with us, that the Lord preserves the saints. Now often this, uh, this doctrine of eternal security is called the uh, perseverance of the saints. Uh, but we really realize that it is the Lord that preserves. It's the Lord that keeps. It's not me trying to earn my way to heaven, but instead it's what God has completed on the cross. Listen, God is perfectly faithful. Amen? He is supremely powerful. Do you believe that? Good. Do you believe He's infinite loving? Amen. Listen, He's not going to allow his, us as His child to be lost in our sins. He is willing to preserve, but He's also willing to preserve us to the end. Look at a couple of things from the Scriptures in Philippians 1.6. You'll take note of this. This is a very important one as we think about this idea. All Scripture is important. 
But this is, we consider this, he says in, to the church at Philippi, he says, being confident of this very thing. He didn't say, listen, I, I'm kind of wishy-washy on this. You know, either way you want to go, you know, it doesn't really matter. But this is what he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. He says, listen, this is what God has done in your life, and this is, what, this is the truth. God is not going to cast you aside like some sort of a new toy. You know, Christmas Day, I love to watch our kids on Christmas Day. Uh, any of you get more enjoyment out of watching the kids play with the boxes than they did the, the $100 toy that was inside the box? They're like, oh, the boxes is so awesome, and they're building forts and having fun. And I said, but the, okay, have fun. This is great. Listen, sometimes we, we get so wrapped up in the box that we forget the real gift of God. And the real gift of God is that one, He's provided salvation and He's the one that keeps us until the day of His return. And so we look here, we see that during Christ's earthly ministry also, Christ taught that God secures all believers. Look at John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. There's several verses here together, so if you want to get your Bible, make them limber. I keep up with me here tonight, I'll try to go slower, but there's no promises on that. I did just get back from some time of rest, so I'm ready to go at 90 miles, hour, 90 miles an hour again. All right, verse number 37, it says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which the Son, uh, which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have temporary life. No, that's not what it says, is it? What's it say? Everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Listen, Scripture is filled with many other testimonies of God's promises and power to preserve His people. In another uh, New Testament place, Paul gives a doxology or a moment of praise, and he says this in the book of Ephesians 3, and verse 20 and 21. He says, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Listen, he said... Listen, we're giving God praise for what He's doing now and what He continues to do in our life. Hebrews says it like this, Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Once again, we see this longevity. It is not something that's temporary. I'm not saved today, unsaved tomorrow. The salvation that God provides is eternal. You see, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should have everlasting life. You see, the moment we are saved, we sometimes believe that all things are going to be sunshine and lollipops, and we want to sing that song, sunshine and lollipops. I don't know the rest of it. You'll have to make it up. Listen, we think that Jesus, the, the way of Jesus is going to be easy, and this is going to be easy street. Anybody ever think that when they got saved? Man, it's going to be a lot easier with Jesus. But the reality is our salvation is not a guarantee that trials will not come our way. Instead, what we find is there's someone to journey through this life alongside of us. You say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You see, His presence goes before me. He's the one that walks with me in all of these things. We find that our journey with Jesus sometimes is full of dangers. 
Satan and his agents desire uh, to, to destroy. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8 that he is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That doesn't sound like things are going to be perfect, but what we find is in the previous verse, casting all your cares upon him because he careth for you. That's the God we serve tonight. That's why when Jude got to the end of this, and he's talking about all these apostates, and he, and he says, listen, you've got to contend for the faith. You've got to contend for the faith. And he gets to the end, and he says, now unto him that is able to keep you. He's not someone that is uh, you know, just playing around with a toy, but he's instead, he loves us. He cares for us. He's the one that keeps us from falling and to present you faultless. You see, that's the God that we serve tonight. This word keep is a translation of a military word, which means to guard or to watch over. God is at His post standing guard like a sentinel over believers to ensure their safety during any assault from the enemy. See, that's the God that we serve. Psalm 12 and verse 7 says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And He is the one that keeps them from stumbling into apostasy. And Jesus, the Good Shepherd, told His listeners this in John 10, 27-29. He said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You see, the Lord Jesus, again, entrusts His followers into the hands. Uh, He's the one that that provides for His followers, and He trusts, uh, and we can trust in Him. Let me say that correctly. John 17, verse 24 says, Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which Thou hast given me, for Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And verse 26, in His high priestly prayer, He continues and said, I have declared unto them Thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith Thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. You see, the Son's infinite love for the Father ensures that He will keep those whom the Father has given Him. Listen, when we're in Christ, we have nothing to fear. We are secure, and there's nothing that could ever take us away from His love. Salvation, we're secure in Christ, but we also realize that it is the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer is a seal. It's a sure sign that you belong to Him. For example, in Ephesians, Paul underscores this truth in Ephesians chapter 1, and he talks about the Holy Spirit as our guarantee. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14, it says, "...in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance." until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Here's the good news. Is it because the moment I was saved, that Holy Spirit came into into my life to indwell me? He is that seal. He is that guarantee. I belong to Him, and there's nothing that can take that away. And it's the same way that an ancient seal was used to serve as a guarantee, a mark on a letter, uh, and marked ownership, And it also made a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is given to us as believers to to give us a proof of ownership. We belong to God, but also the proof of our salvation, that guarantee that we are sealed in Him. Paul noted in the book of Romans, he said, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
We've been adopted into God's family, and so we are assured of by the indwelling Spirit that we belong to Him. We can never be disowned by God. In several places, Paul also points out and emphasizes that gift, uh, that salvation is a gift based on God's grace alone through Christ's death. And so, for example, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, we're very familiar with this, if you know the Romans road, but God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it goes on, and He says, much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Once again, we belong to Him. Christ is, when Christ died on the cross, we are sealed in Him. We are His eternally. You see, before God saved us, the Bible teaches that we were enemies with God. There was nothing good in us. There's nothing that made us worthy of His love, but it is, it is uh, by His grace and mercy that we have received salvation. You know, very familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I love to, when I was, uh, oftentimes when I teach the teenagers years ago, I would often tell them, listen, God's not an Indian giver. He's not going to give you a gift and then take it back. It's yours forever, and salvation is truly a free gift from God. And it, it, it's not something that I can earn. Listen, I could never possibly get my way to heaven, and by the same token, I can't keep myself in God's good graces. There's no human effort around. I can't, uh, I can't preach enough sermons. I can't uh, win enough souls. I can't, I can't do the work of the ministry. I can't do enough things to keep my salvation. It is God's grace that saved me, and it's the same grace that keeps me. You see, the eternal security of the believer rests upon that same infinite sacrifice that brought salvation in the first place. In the sports world, we see stars rise and fall, don't we? Some are hot today, they're gone tomorrow. One quick decisive victory and everyone, all the fans cheer. One mistake and they're in the gutter and they very quickly, they talk about how horrible these people are. Well, one particular man was Guillermo Villas. And I don't know if I said that right, but I sure had fun practicing it. He was an Argentina tennis professional. And he was interviewed by Sports Illustrated several years ago. And in the interview, he said this, Fervently, I think that many times one feels oneself to be secure, and suddenly one's world falls down like a pack of cards in a matter of seconds. You see, he had no security in the sports world. He had no idea what it was to be secure by the fans that supposedly loved him. But we do. You see, when I belong to Christ, Christ is in me, I in him. Man, I am secure in Christ. And listen what Romans says. Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I tell you folks, nothing can separate you from God's love. What a joy it is to know that my, 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 God's love for me is not dependent upon my works. God's love for me is not dependent upon my uh, sweet uh, disposition. Thank you for not laughing too loud, my wife. 
Listen, the reality is that God's love for me is based upon Him and His sacrifice all. 1 Corinthians 1, 7-9 said, So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, the Bible says, Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Again, the Bible says in Philippians 1.6, And being confident of this very thing, that he which be, had begun a good work will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I, pray that, uh, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He that calleth you, who also will do it. Even the Apostle Peter, he continually prone to failure, was able to, to uh, have this settled in his heart. He says in 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And at the end, and then again, once again, at the end of Peter's epistle, he said this in 5.10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You see, the magnitude of the promise is overwhelming. God Himself is the one that protects, He confirms, He strengthens, He establishes His children. And though His purposes for the future involve some pain, amen, sometimes they do, He will nevertheless give us grace to endure those times. Even when the enemy attacks personally, God simultaneously perfects us in, in it. And so we see here, that He brings his, uh, his desires about. We see Him bringing us into wholeness. We bring, see Him setting us on solid ground. We see Him making us strong in our life through these times and establishing a firm foundation in our life. And so we see that this doctrine of eternal security does not mean that we can live any way we want to live and, and still be saved. And be, but instead what we see is that it's not a license to sin. Paul said this in Romans 6.1. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In the very next verse, he says, God forbid. Listen, if you truly are born again, this is what the Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. When you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to follow Him. And that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. There's going to be moments, there's going to be times where we slip and we're going to fail. But this is the promise that God has. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because the love of God can, uh, is the one that sustains us. Man, what a joy to know that the Lord preserves. But also, bear in mind that one day He'll present us. One day we will be able to be presented. And what a glorious thing. And, and think about this, if you will, just very, very quickly tonight. You see, because our faith saves us, our faith keeps us, and one day when I stand before the Lord, it is that faith that when I, when I stand before Christ, that will, I will able to present me whole before Him. You see, a hallmark of genuine saving faith is that it endures to the end.
Matthew 24, 13 mentions this. He says, But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. You see, as believers today, we stand in grace. But in the future, we're going to stand in His glory. Colossians 3, 4 says, And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we, ye also appear with Him in glory. You see, we're going to be in His presence. And for fallen men to stand in the presence of God's glory, really, it, it should produce maybe a little terror, a tremor in our heart. Matter of fact, many times we try to understand what it's like to be able to stand in the presence of God. And, and there have been some very popular songs that have been written. One of the more recent ones is the song, I Can Only Imagine. And part of those words, he says, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? He says, will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? He says, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But when we look at Scripture, what we find is the response of other men who have stood in the presence of God. It's obvious that, that when they stood in the glory of God, that there was something amazing to behold. For example, Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 5, he, uh, Isaiah uh, saw the, the glory of God revealed there at the throne and he pronounced a curse on himself. He says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Ezekiel, he, he fell over like a dead person. He was so in awe and shock of, of seeing the glory of God. There was Peter, there was James and John, who in the Mount of Transfiguration experienced an overwhelming fear. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation, the Bible says he fainted as one who was dead when he saw the vision of the risen and glorious you see, having come face to face with God's glorious presence, each of these men instantly felt the full weight of his sinfulness. They fell to the ground, overwhelmed by their own sense of unworthiness. You see, to stand in God's presence, we must be first be found blameless. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, those that come into the presence of God cannot be uh, sinners. They must be sinless. They must be blameless. Unrepentant sinners will not enter the glory of heaven. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, though, let me just tell you, God imputed Christ's righteousness in your life. And now we are positionally blameless. When He looks at me, He doesn't see my sinfulness. He didn't see uh, the John Bingham with all the faults and, the, and the, the failures and all the warts and all of those things. What He sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Man, what a glorious thing. What a wonderful thing that we are secure in Christ. You see, while we wait on the glorified body though, we still live in this fleshly, sinful body, don't we? But this is what the Bible says in Philippians 3.21, that one day that will be changed. And the Bible says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. In heaven, we will not only experience an absence from sin, but a presence of perfect holiness. All of our faculties will be completely emancipated from evil and fully devoted to the righteous worship of God forever and ever. 
Revelation 19, 6, and, as I heard, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the voice of many waters and the voice of many mighty thunderings saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Man, won't that be wonderful? Man, I look around in the church today and I think, man, all the saints that are, are assembled here will be assembled there in heaven only with multitude, thousands upon thousands. They're gathered around and the mighty chorus singing the praises of God in that glorified body. What a glorious day that will be. Listen, we're going to experience great joy. It's going to be a wonderful day. And this joy refers to the joy of the Father and the joy of the Son over the fellowship He has with us. In 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was completed. It cost $77 million. Today it would cost somewhere around, I don't know, if government was involved, probably $77 trillion. But it was built in two stages. The first stage was very slowly and very costly, both in life and in expense. And the second stage went much quicker and you think, well, that's logical. You figure it out the first time, and the second time you kind of put it together. But the, really, the difference was not as much that. But the first stage, 23 men fell to their death while working on the Golden Gate Bridge. The work ground to a halt because fear. Fear paralyzed the workmen. They were, they were uh, helpless as they watched their companions plummeting from the heights far above uh, the bay and plummet, uh, plummeting into the waters below. And finally, someone who was very ingenious said, you know, all we've got to do is put a net underneath, and if someone falls, then they're not going to die. You know, I've, I've been to the circus. That's what they do there, right? So for $100,000, they constructed the largest net that's ever been built, and they hung that net under the workmen everywhere they were working. And so when the fa second phase began, that net began underneath, with the net underneath the workmen, the men... Uh, we're working, and ten men fell, but each man fell, and he fell in the net and was saved. The work went twice as fast because they were no longer afraid. You see, as Jude ends this epistle, he comes to this point and says, Listen, as we think about God, we think about who He is, let me just remind you, it is Him that keeps you. It's not we ourselves. It's the God of heaven, the God of, of our salvation that provides salvation. He's the one that also keeps us. But He's also the one that will one day present us. And when we stand before the Lord, I'm not going to stand in fear or afraid. I'm going to stand in the confidence of Christ. You see, for without Him, without Christ though, we see as His praise ends in verse 25, He says, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, and dominion, and power, both now and, and, and ever. Amen. As he closes this, this uh, short epistle, he closes with this attitude of praise. Church, as we enter into a brand new year, may we remi be reminded of a couple of things. One, our God is still God. He's still God in my life. He's still the God that saved me. He's still the God that keeps me. And though I walk through the valley, I have nothing to fear because He's with me. You know, and though we may go through some difficult times, and there's some difficult journeys upon this life, I'm just reminded that He is a faithful God and a wonderful God. And when we seek Him, nothing else matters. The second thing is that one day I will stand before Him. One day I will stand in His presence. And I want to remind you of this one last little scripture that we've already said before.
just as a synopsis here of everything. Nor death, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature. In other words, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Christian, may we move boldly. May we confidently walk in the love of God unafraid because of Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?